Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode is sponsored by TriVegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I'm joined by my lovely co-host, physical therapist, Litzy, and your teacher extraordinaire, Kristen Williams. Hey, Laura. Hey, everybody. Hey, so let, I know. Let's always try and I, I try and want to really bring in the drum roll for you. <laughs> Such a joyful time. All right. So the first question is from Larissa Scott. She asks, how does or does it carrying angle affect an individual's placement of the hands when weight bearing, allowing for a wide hand placement, turning the hands out slightly, et cetera, especially in plank down dog handstands? Thanks. You want to start off? Oh, I think this is a good question because it's common for a lot of people, especially women. You know, we have that wider carrying angle in the elbow, which will, when you're looking at somebody who has a wide carrying angle, if they bring their arms to their sides, say palms facing forward, their elbows hug in and the palms face out. And so you make, I mean, and the forearms come out a bit. It makes sense why it would be wider in women because we tend to have wider hips because we bear children, blah, blah, blah. And so I think it can affect people in their yoga practice, especially if they are prone to sinking into it. I personally don't think you have to necessarily change the way you do things. What you might need to do is that I hesitate to say, and we do this a lot, this, I say soften. I don't, we don't like the micro bend term because that kind of gets overused. So we don't want, we want a straight elbow, but not a locked out elbow. And so I'm more concerned to be honest with what's happening more proximally. So if that carrying angle is affecting your scapula, so let's say 
they are a little bit scrunched in or protracted, retracted. We really want to look to see what's happening. So if I know Larissa is a teacher, so look at your student, what's happening proximally and adjust for that, that they have a straight but not locked out elbow and that their scapula are neutral on the ribs. And the carrying angle takes care of itself. I mean, it's it's just an anatomical difference, like being bow-legged or knock-kneed, uh, genuvagus, genuveris. We don't necessarily tell people to do things differently if, unless it affects something at their pelvis or something more proximal. What do you think, Laura? I, I totally agree. So I'll just echo for anybody that has no idea what a carrying angle is. It's the angle that your arm is kind of dangling in by your side so that when you're walking and you have the swing of your arms, you don't hit your forearm to your thigh, right? So it had angles out to make room for that. And the reason why women, as Kristen had mentioned, why women's tends to, it is a bigger angle is because we have wider hips. So it's a great, you know, bioanatomical evolutionary thing that happened when we became bipedal that we didn't want to just bonk into our arms as we were walking. So that angles out. I totally agree. I have in the thousands of people I've seen, I've maybe seen three with a really, really serious carrying angle that we really had to kind of figure out, like you said, like when you're in this position, purposefully soften your elbow slash bend it and then re-straighten it and really hug in with the, the scapula. And that worked really well. I think it is overly worried about, you know, and a lot of it is coming from people don't like the look of this extended elbow and how it kind of can look, quote, hyperextended. But just like any joint, if the joint, if the two bones are, are aligning well in that, you know, that centrated form where you have maximal joint contact or placement to have that energy exchange, that's great. I would also cue proximally, look at what the scapula is doing. And then, you know, saying things like, think of hugging around that humerus, the entire length of it, the bicep, tricep, giving it support. Because people, again, yeah, they, they protract, they kind of drop into the medial side, or if they, I guess, sink in, they do it the other way. So it's really about getting the placement of the scapula and then activating and doing the, the dialing of the hands also helps a lot. So that energetic dial of the hands brings that torque energy up to give more um, activity to the muscles around the bone. So it's not just the triceps that are kicking in, even though your elbow is in extended position, but your biceps can kind of isometrically hug as well to help you avoid that sinking into the elbow joint. So that's a great question. I think our conclusion is it's just so rare I've seen it be an actual issue. So I would just assume the best and assume it's just the placement of the, the scapula on the back body and then activity in the arm. Well, and I think for there's probably a lot of people who don't understand your cue dialing out, and it's such a good one. If you want to think of dialing out, if you had your hands on the ground, it's like you're trying to wave high to somebody. So you're trying to turn your hand out, but it's not moving. And that's going to go all the way up the chain from the wrist to the forearm, all the way up to the scapula and really create this hugging effect. So if you don't know what that is, give it a whirl and see how it feels in your body. Um, I think it's a game changer for a lot of people who don't activate from the palm all the way up. Yeah. Like imagine trying to 
you know, Turn, yeah. take a, the lid off of a can of a jar that's really, really tight. And that energy that you have to produce, it's not just in your wrist. You won't be very successful. You have it all, it has this effect all the way up. Good. Great. All right. I've got one here from our friend, uh, Elizabeth Fryer. Um, she said, at the end of last Wednesday q and so this was probably several weeks ago, Laura said, you better correct posture if you are sore when you get out of bed. Can you two discuss this more? Which I think a lot of people have this question. So it's a good one to further expand upon. My question can be, I feel fine when I get into bed and I'm often sore when I get out of bed. I do seven to 10 minutes of what I call morning moves and I'm good, not pain-free, but mostly. Can you discuss? How would you expand upon that, Laura? Well, I think there's a couple of different things. One is that um, if you're going to bed and you're feeling pretty good, it might be something that happens overnight. It might be your pillow. It might be your position. If you are really you know, in an asymmetrical position or your neck is torqued or you're hugging your elbows in like a lot of people do, kind of in you know, this little embryo type feeling, and then you stay like that for many, many hours, you can wake up and feel sore, feel kind of tight and and rusty. And, you know, in the morning, let me just say, most people are going to have some degree of feeling at least not hydrated. So you might not be sore, but you'll feel like stiff because you haven't been moving and, and you start moving. And sure enough, it doesn't take long. So if you can, if you wake up and you just feel stiff, it's probably just, you know, you haven't moved and you start moving and you feel better. But if you're waking up and you're always sore, I would really look at what you're doing during the day. So even at the end of the day, say Elizabeth's feeling pretty good, but also watch during the day what you're doing. We spend so much time on our devices. And I know personally when I've spent a lot of time and I have not, because I'm not at all perfect, when I haven't been aligned, like looking at my phone with right in front of me, I sit on the couch and try and look at it. But say I'm standing up and I'm looking down, I know I feel it the next day. If I've been doing it a lot, that that particular day. And to me, that's a signal like, whoa, watch it because I'm getting that head in that protracted, you know, protreated position where it's going forward and then looking down and just putting so much load on those suboccipital muscles all day long. So that's what I mean by really observe what you're doing. So if you are always waking up and you're sore in your neck, in your shoulders, in your back, what is your posture like? What is your posture like when you're doing your daily activities, when you're sitting, standing, walking, driving in the car? You know, it just it invites us to observe ourselves more, just to pay attention because so much of our day, we are kind of zoned out. I think it's, um, you know, some of it is preserving energy. Some of it, we're doing things that we've done repetitively and we don't need as much brain power, but just observe that that would be the part about the posture because I do think you take it in and then when you sleep and you wake up and it's like nothing was kind of improved. If anything, it's probably gotten worse overnight. So that's, if you're going to bed and you're not, and you feel good, then most likely that isn't the number one primary cause, but it still could be uh, contributing to the fact you wake up and you feel a little bit sore. So sore really meaning like, ow, uh, you know, like, ooh, not just like, oh, I'm feeling kind of tight. You know, there's different messages we get from the brain. And that's really what it is, is brain is, is sending an output of information that it's gathered. Like, okay, all day yesterday, your head was forward. And there's a lot of tension in those receptors and mechanical receptors in your connective tissue. And they start to speak out 
And then the brain interprets that and gives you that information. It could be in the form of tightness or soreness or, or real like not good feeling, but it's all a communication. You know, if you look at pain, pain is ultimately a beautiful way of communicating. It might not be the way we want to feel, but it's actually telling us something. So that's why if you're waking up with pain, I really encourage you to start examining your posture and your, and your movement habits. I love that. I echo everything you say. I always say that the body's telling us a story and we have to listen to what it's saying. So that echoes everything you said there. And then the bed, oh my gosh, you know, yes, it's the bed, the pillow. That That is a, a, it's like your point. If you're going to bed feeling good, you wake up feeling not great. Like how often does that happen when you're traveling? And all of a sudden you wake up and you're like, I had the best night's sleep ever. I'm like, what mattress do you have? You know, like you, does that hotel use? Or what happens more often than not is you go and you stay in this terrible soft mattress and you're just so sore when you wake up. So I love echo everything you say. The body tells the story, listen to what it's, what it's saying. That's going to tell you what you're doing throughout the day. And then take a look at, at what you're sleeping on. Yeah. Okay. Next question is from Annette Beaton. She says, I have a question with the Q&A. My son is 24 years old and has gout in his knee. Besides dietary changes, what can you recommend to return more mobility to that knee? It is stiff and has a lot of crunching sounds when he flexes it. Thank you for all you give. Lit Yoga changed my life. Oh, well, oh, thank sweet. you, darling. Yes. Yeah, so gout. You want to talk about that? Because I know you've probably had quite a few patients with gout and then I'll chip in. Yeah. Yeah. So gout is a, it's an interesting rheumatoid affliction where, where you, you get some inflammatory, it's, it's an inflammatory rheumatoid. It's an inflammatory arthritis where you get some increased uric acid usually within a joint. We see it in specific joints. A lot of times it can be brought on by, by dietary, you know, you're eating too much. I mean, it's, it's the classic Henry VIII, you know, too much meat, cheese, wine, you know, these, heavy, these proteins that our body just cannot break down. So I love that, that she mentioned, you know, diet as the first place to go to. I, there are plenty of other reasons to get gout that is not diet related or not solely driven by diet. So when, when it comes to anything rheumatoid, and I'm sure he has a rheumatoid, you know, a rheumatologist that he goes to, I would always seek that advice first, but we're still going to bring it back to movement, bring it back to mobilization, bring it back to um, range of motion, strength, proximal strength, trying to restore some mobility within a reasonable range. And so, you know, there's, uh, the knee is our most mobile joint. I mean, it's supposed to have this great range of motion. And when you have a gouty inflammation, the good news with gout is it usually, it, it sucks because it's very painful, but it's short-term. It is, you know, once that body clears that uric acid, you feel a lot better, but it kind of, it, it'll come in these spurts and, um, you know, how best to avoid it would be through movement, through diet. What else do you know about gout, Lara? You know, it's funny. I have mostly I we we see gout in a lower down, like in the foot, in the ankle, and um, so gout in the knee is in some ways better because it's a little bit closer to the heart. So some of that movement to get some of the swelling out is going to be a little easier than if it, down in the foot. It, it, it's it's um I think it's painful no matter what, but it's real. I've seen it really painful there. But I have actually had a few people with gout in the knee, 
And yeah, number one is definitely checking with your doctor. And, and like with any autoimmune disease, there, there is a component of your lifestyle, like what you're eating, what you're drinking. And I think it, you know, if he's not already doing this, really kind of track some of that stuff, some of the kind of inflammatory triggers that contribute to the out, any kind of um, outbreak. I would go to the hip. So the, when I've worked with people, I wouldn't worry about the crunching. I think that's a separate thing. So crunching and cracking is, I don't think that has anything to do with the gout per se. That could just be like he has a noisy knee. However, it also might mean that he's not tracking that knee very well. So to Kristen's point, I'd really go into working on the hip, working where you can actually try and get that leg up in the air in some ways, you know, so that the um, inflammation has a pathway down toward the heart and it. So even like legs up the wall after he's been doing some things or legs up, but really moving in the hip and then moving in the knee via the hip. So make sure that he is, you know, got a neutral pelvis so that when he squats or hinges at the hips, that he's not driving that force into the patella and making that more grouchy. Yeah. Tell him to take our foundational series or some of our our shorter series on our, on our lit daily. Um, It sounds like you're already practicing. So I would try and get him to do some of that with you. Not weight-bearing on the knee if it hurts, but if it doesn't hurt, it, it certainly is okay as long as he's using his core. Because you're basically, when you're weight-bearing on the knee, it's, it's like a little platform, but your weight shouldn't be like pressing on it because you're, you're um, countering that by holding on to your core. So I think core strengthening, hip strengthening, and hip mobility, and then giving that knee an opportunity like legs up the wall or something like that if he's not already doing that. Um, has helped. And, and I, I also massage anybody with gout who, who can handle it. Sometimes, you know, it's very painful to the touch even, but sometimes just getting some of this like external stimulus to, to have that um, uric acid move out can be helpful. But I really, really recommend, again, with any kind of autoimmune disease, really tracking what can be a trigger because that can be also helpful. Well, and just to plug it daily, I uh, recently filmed four classes with the non-weight bearing through the knees. We're just waiting for Greg to get those up there. And that's perfect for him to keep moving um, and to get, you know, get the benefit of lit yoga without weight bearing through a sore knee. So um, keep your eyes peeled for that. Yay. Should be up soon. Okay. And let's see, let, we have time for one more question. This is from Kitty Kitty Nikki. <laughs> I'd love that. Kitty Kitty. <laughs> She says, I've restriction built up in my deltoid area, lots of crunchiness. Any release tips? Well, the deltoid, there are actually three parts to it. I'm going to assume you're meaning your anterior deltoid. And I, without any further information, because that's really hard for us to know, without looking at you, without looking at like your alignment, my guess is that that crunchiness is actually coming from some of the tenderness stuff from your rotator cuff, possibly your bicep tendon. So a lot of that is going to be getting your scapula in a better position because my gut, and I happen to know just a little kitty, 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 Nikki is in our lit um, cohort four. And she was, I posted the other day a before and after, and she was one of the most dramatic. It looks like she had had scoliosis, but it wasn't, it was structural. And she, so much has changed. So I already know from looking at that position, so I do know a little bit more, but I would have guessed anyway, you're probably protracted in your scapula at rest. So at rest, at neutral. So that's already going to give you the bias to have your shoulder, your humeral head not centrated as at its best place when you're moving, whether it's non-weight bearing or weight bearing. So really 
position of the scapula and humerus is huge because the crunchiness, I, again, I don't think it's the muscle of the deltoid. I think it's just, you know, people know that's the front of the deltoid, but there's a lot of stuff there. Your rotator to cuff tendons come around there, but also your bicep tendon is, is there as well. And if they get grouchy and crunch, they can get crunchy and painful. Yeah. And they can also be crunchy and not painful. And the shoulders are very loud joints because they're so mobile. That, like to your point, there are so many tendons and ligaments and bursa, which are fluid filled sacs between the muscles and the tendons and the bones that they can be loud. Uh, mine, I mean, there are times mine will literally be so loud that Greg can pick it up on the, on the microphone. It doesn't hurt. It's just, and, I, and it's, you know, typically when I've done a lot of work, so they're just extra mobile, or I have to really be like, okay, Kristen, they're talking. That means I need to lock my scapula in a little bit better because it's something I'm doing wrong. So do I wouldn't worry about it, Nikki, if it's not painful, but if it's a crunchy, yeah, it's most likely everything Laura said, it's probably not your deltoid per se, but the structures underneath it. And the classic referral pattern of the structures underneath the acromion, which is the shoulder bone, is the deltoid. So people will be like, no, 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 it, it hurts here. And it's to explain, well, that's referred pain from underneath your shoulder, from underneath your shoulder point, which right there, it's called a subacromial space. So um, it, there's a lot of differential diagnoses that we would have to, like you said at the very beginning, really watch you move. You know a bit about Nikki. But uh, to get a better pinpoint on that, especially if it's one side versus the other, I've seen those pictures. So I'm guessing it probably is unilateral just based on her structural asymmetry that she had for so many years and it's now, you know, so much better. But uh, yeah, do not be put off by noisy shoulders because they are quite common. Yeah, there's a lot of things to slide around on stuff. So, you know, when something slides over a bone, it's not always just uh, it, quiet. Exactly. <laughs> they, can make, they can make some noise for sure. Well, those were wonderful questions. As always, thank you so much for joining me today, Kristen. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. And as always, we are pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.